Our text for this evening is printed for you in the bulletin. It's Lamentations chapter 2. Just read, uh, this is God's word. How the Lord in his anger has set the daughter of Zion under a cloud. He has cast down from heaven to earth the splendor of Israel. He has not remembered his footstool in the day of his anger. The Lord has swallowed up without mercy all the inhabitants of Jacob. In his wrath, he has broken down the strongholds of the daughter of Judah. He has brought down to the ground in dishonor the kingdom and its rulers. He has cut down in fierce anger all the might of Israel. He has withdrawn from them his right hand in the face of the enemy. He has burned like a flaming fire in Jacob, consuming all around. He has bent his bow like an enemy with his right hand set like a foe. He has killed all who were delightful in our eyes in the tent of the daughter of Zion. He has poured out his fury like fire. The Lord has become an enemy. He has swallowed up Israel. He has swallowed up all its palaces. He has laid in ruins its strongholds. And he has multiplied in the daughter of Judah mourning and lamentation. He has laid waste his booth like a garden. Laid in ruins his meeting place. The Lord has made Zion forget festival in Sabbath. And in his fierce indignation has spurned king and priest. The Lord has scorned his altar, disowned his sanctuary. He has delivered into the hand of the enemy the walls of her palaces. They have raised a clamor in the house of the Lord as on the day of festival. The Lord determined to lay in ruins the wall of the daughter of Zion. He stretched out the measuring line. He did not restrain his hand from destroying. He caused rampart and wall to lament. They languished together. Her gates have sunk into the ground. He has ruined and broken her bars. Her king and princes are among the nations. The law is no more and her prophets find no vision from the Lord. The elders of the daughter of Zion sit on the ground in silence. They have thrown dust on their heads and put on sackcloth. The young women of Jerusalem have bowed their heads to the ground. My eyes are spent with weeping. My stomach churns. My bile is poured out on the ground because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. Because infants and babies faint in the streets of the city. They cry to their mothers, where is bread and wine? As they faint like a wounded man in the streets of the city. As their life is poured out on their mother's bosom. What can I say for you? To what compare you, O daughter of Zion? What can I liken to you that I may comfort you, O virgin daughter of Zion? For your ruin is vast as the sea. Who can heal you? Your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. They have not exposed your iniquity to restore your fortunes, but have seen for you oracles that are false. And misleading 
All who pass along the way clap their hands at you. They hiss and wag their heads at the daughter of Jerusalem. Is this the city that was called the perfection of beauty, the joy of all the earth? All your enemies rail against you. They hiss, they gnash their teeth, they cry, we have swallowed her. Ah, this is the day we longed for. Now we, we have it, we see it. The Lord has done what he purposed. He has carried out his word, which he commanded long ago. He has thrown down without pity. He has made the enemy rejoice over you and exalted the might of your foes. Their heart cried to the Lord, O wall of the daughter of Zion, let tears stream down like a torrent day and night. Give yourself no rest, your eyes no respite. Arise, cry out in the night, at the beginning of the night watches. Pour out your heart like water before the presence of the Lord. Lift your hands to him for the lives of your children who faint for hunger at the head of every street. Look, O Lord, and see, with whom have you dealt thus? Should women eat the fruit of their womb, the children of their tender care? Should priest and prophet be killed in the sanctuary of the Lord? In the dust of the streets lie the young and the old. My young women and my young men have fallen by the sword. You have killed them in the day of your anger, slaughtering without pity. You summoned as if to a festival day. My terrors on every side. And on the day of the anger of the Lord, no one escaped or survived. Those whom I held and raised, my enemy destroyed. Oh, me. You may want to leave and go home after that. Um, uh, there's an outline on page 10 um, <clears throat> uh, for this study. Hmm. In uh, Arnold Dallimore's twofold biography of uh, George Whitfield, he tells of an instance when uh, Whitfield was preaching in the open air, which he did quite often because there simply were no churches large enough to hold the crowds that came to hear him preach. Uh, there were no tabernacles, no tents, nothing large enough. So he began to preach in outdoors. He'd find a big field and uh, set up a podium, get the word around about when they were going to worship, and people would turn out by the thousands to hear him preach. On one occasion, <clears throat> when, uh, let's see, when he was preaching in, where was it? Georgia, I think he was in outdoors in Georgia. Uh, in the midst of a sermon, a severe a thunderstorm came. I mean, you could see the heavens darken, and here it comes. And uh, it's like people didn't know what to do. There was no shelter, and they were out in the open. But he used that occasion to illustrate uh, the wrath of God. And it was there, visible, dark, threatening clouds, uh, thunderous, 
uh, claps of thunder, uh, bolts of lightning from the heavens. And he, let me, I want to read just in part um, toward the end of his sermon. O sinner, by all your hopes and happiness, I beseech you to repent. Let not the wrath of God be awakened. Let not the fires of eternity be kindled against you. See there, cried the impassioned preacher, pointing to a flash of lightning. That is but a glance from the angry eye of the Lord. Then thunder broke again. He said, hark, raising his finger to a listening attitude. As the thunder broke in a tremendous crash, he says, and that is the voice of the Almighty as he simply passes near us in his anger. You can imagine that the crowd was spellbound. The account goes on that as the sound, the thundering died away, Whitfield <laughs> Whitfield covered his face with his hands and in tears fell to his knees. The storm passed rapidly by. The sun bursting forth threw across the heavens the magnificent arch of peace, a rainbow. Ruling and rising and pointing to it, the young preacher cried out, Look upon the rainbow and praise him who made it. Very beautiful it is in the brightness thereof. It compasses the heavens about with glory and the hands of the Almighty have bended. He took that occasion to preach to them Christ. And at least humanly speaking, certainly, he had their attention. Um, even as he used, Whitfield used the occasion of the severe thunderstorm to describe the wrath of God. Uh, we have an entire chapter here about the wrath of God and what it looked like when he came upon his people, particularly Jerusalem. Uh, this chapter, again, in your outline, has two sections. We have the city torn down to the ground, uh, <clears throat> verses 1 to 10. And then children dying in the streets, verse 11 to 19. It's a horrid passage. The third part is the cry from the heart of darkness, verse 20 to 22. We'll spend most of our time on verses 1 to 10. A city torn down to the ground. Notice again how Jeremiah begins in verse 1. We've seen this before. How? How? Jeremiah begins with his objective account of what he has seen. He cries out once more how and launches now into a passionate graphic account of the utter demolition of the city at the hands of the Babylonians. It's interesting. However, the Babylonians are not even mentioned until verse 16. Well, they're the ones that did it. You would think that he would remind them right off the bat, but he doesn't. Human enemies are not mentioned because who is the real enemy? The Lord himself. God had become the enemy 
of his people and in savage onslaught reduced Jerusalem to rubble. Uh, The first eight verses here pound, pound our ears with 28 verbs describing the destruction on a blockbuster scale. You know what? Every one of those verbs has the same subject. God. What God has done. He, pronoun he, is repeated in English in almost every line. And let's look at this. I've tried to divide it a bit. Uh, No mercy, verses 1 to 5. No worship, verses 6 to 7. No wall, verse 8 in the first part of verse 9. No word, the second part of verse 9 and verse 10. Let's look at this. Again, I remind you, who's the subject of the verbs predominantly? God himself. Verses 1 to 5. No mercy. What has he, what has the Lord done to Zion? What has he done? We read there in verse 1. He has set them under a cloud. It's odd, you know, to our American ears. It's either dark thunderheads or that they're cut off by a cloud that separates them from God's presence. In sharp contrast, now, context, audience, in sharp contrast to the glory cloud that guided the people of Israel from Egypt to the promised land, a cloud by day, a a tower of flame by night that filled the tabernacle, their tent, sanctuary, all throughout the wilderness wanderings, and then the temple Now God, in a cloud, has cut off the connection between heaven and earth by casting down, cast down from heaven to earth the splendor of Israel. What we have here, this throw is forceful, like he is thrown down to the point of breaking and shattering. It's a picture of their relationship. What has God done with their relationship? He has shattered it. He has thrown it to the ground so that it is broken in pieces. Notice uh, in verse 2, he uses the language he has swallowed up without mercy. That language is repeated in verse 17. Again, without mercy. And then again in verse 21, thinking of the young and old, young women, young men, all killed and in the streets slaughtered without mercy. I don't know about you. I'm just very uncomfortable with that language, to say the least. Um. We might even think that this uh, 
picture of God is as a brutal aggressor. In verses 4 and 5, we are told that he has become like an enemy. He has bent his bow like an enemy, with his right hand set like a foe. Verse 5 again. The Lord has become like an enemy. Actually, the language there um, is in other places is someone who's basically hostile to you, a hater. Someone who hates you. That language is used of God in this language of like an enemy. The root meaning someone who hates you and treats you accordingly. God has not just withdrawn from them. He's not just pulled away or turned against them. He is now actively pursuing them as someone who is hostile, someone who hates them. There's no mercy. Verses 6 and 7 speak of the worship, the worship aspect Um, the writer returns to the burned-out rubble of the temple and considers its importance. Uh, The once glorious temple has been smashed down easily like one might tear down or wreck kind of a garden shed that was nothing more than a lean-to anyway. And the language is vicious, y'all. Notice at the end of verse uh, 6. It says, uh, In his fierce indignation, he has spurned, spurned king and priest. He has scorned his altar, disowned his sanctuary, Delivered them into the hand of the enemy. Again. uh, He has laid it in ruins. This is violent language. Used of what God has done. He has spurned them. Scorned them. And there's no worship. To say the least, no worship at all. Also, there's no wall, verse 8 and uh, first part of verse 9. Uh, it's like the Jeremiah, the writer's gaze turns from the temple and palace now to the center of the city and to the wall that has surrounded it all. And all of the structures of fortification, the systems of defense. Notice this language. Are laid in ruins. They are uh, sunk. Verse 9. Sunk to the ground. They are. He has ruined and broken her. Who? The Babylonians? No. They were the human instruments. But the driving force, the one who gave them victory, even guided their strategy how to demolish the city, was God himself. 
what can be said in such desperate circumstances. You know, when you need a word from the Lord, you turn to those who are entrusted with his word, custodians of what God has said. What about the priests who were uh, given the task of teaching and interpreting the law? What about them? The end of verse 9, well, there's no more. No more. They, the law is no more. What about her prophets? The ones that brought that very clear, direct, thus says the Lord kind of thing. Well, end of verse 9 again. Her prophets find no vision from the Lord. Who would give a more direct word from visions as God? And now he's not speaking to them at all. What about leadership? Verse 10. The elders. Where are they? Well, they're sitting on the ground in silence. Those who supposedly had wisdom and leadership skills, what do you do? Well, they're putting on, they're throwing dust on their heads and putting on sackcloth. That's what they're doing. The ones who supposedly had wisdom and experience to provide counsel and guidance for everyone else, they're silent. They have no word. Prophets, priests, elders... All three groups of leaders for the country have fallen silent in the teeth of this overwhelming disaster. They're speechless. Uh, The sad fact was that all three priests, prophets, elders have corrupted their office. God's faithful prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, others, all condemned the priests for their corruption and their failure to teach God's people his word. Likewise, they also uh, condemned false prophets who constantly reassured God's people, all is well. There's no need to fret. What do we do with this? What do we do with the wrath of God? Which left to ourselves is coming for us. Paul in Romans 1 says that for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. And then in the following verses, speaking of this wrath, he talks about God's people. He says, God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave them up. I think I've mentioned this on um, another occasion. But the night that I was converted, that was the sermon. Romans 1, and God 
giving people up. Giving them over to their sin. You want that? Have it. I'd gone to a Decatur football stadium chasing an old girlfriend. Ended up being converted that night. I'd never heard any preaching like that in my life. And I grew up in the church. Of course, I, in one sense, I really had never, ever heard. That was the first night that I did. He talked about um, this word expiation in the work of Christ. Expiation is the removal of guilt. He talked about propitiation. Another sacrificial word <clears throat> has to do with the removal of wrath. Y'all, there's only one person who is equipped to do that. To remove our guilt, to remove the wrath that is rightly upon every one of us. And it is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our expiation, our guilt remover. He is our propitiation, our wrath remover. We do well to magnify his name, to praise him with gladness, to offer our thanksgiving, which we will be able to sing on perfect pitch throughout the ages in heaven, to praise him, to praise him for his saving work. God praise his name. Will you pray with me? Father, I don't know what to say. Even with after looking at your word, we are left with you. We come to you in the name of our Savior, our, the one who is our expiation, the one who is our propitiation. And in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we ask that your word will be life-giving to us, that you will be drawing us close, closer to you, that we might ever live there, as though at your side. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.